So Jesus is speaking. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run around after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us. Well, as we have heard God speak through His Word that we find in the Bible, we're going to respond by singing again that He is sovereign over us, and then Nigel is going to come and open up God's Word again for us. Lovely. Well, let's uh, turn together to Matthew chapter 6, those verses that we read earlier, uh, Matthew six twenty-five, uh, to the end of that chapter. We're going to look at that in, in a moment or two, where he fear, anxiety. Do you know anything of these things? Well, uh, of course you do, for we all do. Uh, the commentators tell us, the social commentators tell us that we are more anxious people today than we used to be. We have come out of COVID when our fears have been stoked day after day. We remember the daily COVID death tolls every day on the news, and that subtle message that said, you could be next. Now we're living in days of bulging hospital waiting lists, a rising cost of living crisis. We're waiting for the interest rates to go through the roof and the housing market to collapse and the possibility that the war in Ukraine will spill over into the rest of Europe and go nuclear. And if we manage to get through all of that, then uh, Greta Thunberg will tell us that the climate crisis will get us, even if everything else doesn't. Now, maybe you come in here tonight and you didn't know what we were talking about. You come in without a care in the world, and now your, your fingers are bitten back to the very bone. Worry, fear, and anxiety. There is lots to worry about, isn't there? As well as that, of course, there's that sort of background music to our culture in which nothing quite makes sense. 
I've been reading a bit of Francis Schaeffer recently. Francis Schaeffer was a, an American theologian, uh, lived through the, the last century, died just around the turn of the century. And uh, <clears throat> he, he thought very carefully about where the culture was, where Western culture was. And he said that, that for about the last 100 years or so, or a little more, a, a Western thought, the thought that we have all grown up with, the culture that we've grown up with, has dipped below what he called the line of despair. So it, it has not just said that truth is hard to find, that it's out there, but it's just hard to find. But no, the, 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 the thinking has been that there are no absolutes, there's really no truth. You bring your own truth to the table. And so, because of that, it's pretty much impossible for anyone to hold on to anything solid and, and say that anything has real value, that there's real right and wrong, or that there's real meaning to our lives. And, and so, even whenever things are going fairly well for us, th there is this sort of background noise in our lives that says, well, actually, even if it feels okay, all of this is meaningless. And that leaves us feeling that, that nothing is maybe wrong, but nothing is really right either. So, no wonder we find ourselves at times anxious and worried. So, what do we do with our worry? And, and, and uh, just to, to say this is what we're going to look at tonight, and, and we're not thinking of those more extreme cases of, of anxiety disorders and so on, and things that we might need to get uh, professional help with. We're thinking about the everyday worries and concerns and fears that one writer said, uh, fill our days and trouble our nights. That was a little phrase that, that sort of caught me, worries that fill our days and trouble our nights. We're going to look at what the Bible says about this. We read it earlier, and maybe you think, well, hang on, um, what does the Bible know about COVID or climate crisis? And it's true, of course, to say that there are lots of things that are specific to our day, but the, the fact of our worries is just part of the human condition. The, the object of our fears may change, but the, the problem of worry is not a new problem at all. It's, it's part of what it means to, to live in a fallen world, and therefore the Bible does, of course, speak into it. We, we might know and, and love David's beautiful psalm, Psalm 139, which says, which begins, O Lord, you've searched me and you know me. And it goes on at the end of that psalm to say, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. There's great King David, ruling at the very high point of the uh, people of Israel's experience. And in the quietness of his prayer journal, he speaks to God about his anxious thoughts. And of course, if you read the Psalms, you'll know that many times he names his his fears before God. So, so the Bible has lots to say about fear, anxiety, and worry, and what we should do about it. And we're not going to say everything we should do about it, but some of the things that we should do about it tonight. So, a few things to, to say. First of all, what do we do with our worry? Well, actually, what we do is we do exactly what David does in that psalm, Psalm 139, and that is that we bring our worries to the Lord. Now, this might be the most important thing that we see tonight. It's something that I, I picked up from a writer called Ed Welsh, 
uh, as he speaks about fear and anxiety. He's written some wonderful stuff on this. And a little phrase on, on a, a, I think it was a sermon or a talk, the goal is to be able to turn to Christ in the midst of fear rather than extinguish all fears. Now, that's, that's super important. That's a really, really important thing uh, to hear tonight uh, and maybe something that we want to take away with us. And, and that's maybe not how we think. We think that the victory, if it's out there, the victory is in the banishment of the fear, and it may well be that that's the case, but actually the real victory is in the bringing of the fear to the Lord. And that's what we see both Paul and Peter telling us to do in their letters. Paul says in Philippians 4 and 6, his famous verse, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Where's the victory? It's in, it's in bringing the fear to God. We turn to the Lord in the midst of the fear. Same with Peter, 1 Peter 5 and 7. We'll think a bit more about this in a moment or two, but 1 Peter 5 and 7, cast all your cares, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Beautiful verse. What do we do with our worries and our anxieties? We bring them to the Lord. So the aim is to bring them, not to banish them. Now, now let me just, as we we begin to go through this, let me clarify something, and that is that this is a peculiarly Christian privilege that we can bring our concerns to the Lord. I, I mean by that that this is something that is promised and open to the believer, the person who has come to know Jesus as their Savior. Wonderful little statement uh, recorded. So, so uh, these verses that we've read in Matthew chapter uh, 6 are largely paralleled in Luke chapter 12. And there, uh, Jesus says some things to the disciples that he doesn't say here in Matthew chapter 6. He says, uh, Matthew, or Luke chapter 12, verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Beautiful little sentence from the Lord. Can you hear the, the tenderness with which he turns to his disciples and says to them, hey, little flock, do not be afraid. You're my sheep, he says. You're my people. And, and the Father has given you the kingdom. You, you've been brought in, he says. It's just, it's just full of assurance. And here's the thing you see. These promises, all of this invitation to come and to cast your burdens upon the Lord, they're, they're all given to the Lord's people, to the little flock. So, so here's what you can't do. You can't say, now I'm not a Christian and I don't really want to be a Christian, but I want to have someone deal with my worries and if it has to be God, well, fair enough. If Jesus will deal with my worries, maybe he would deal with my worries without dealing with me as it were. But no, that's not how it works because the promises are for the little flock. These things come as part of the relationship that he draws us into. So, so in other words, to know this, this invitation to cast our cares upon him, we need to come to him with all that we have and all that we are. So it's for the little flock. This is what's assumed. So what do we do? We, we bring our concerns to the Lord. Why can we do this? Well, this is where we get into Matthew chapter 6, because what Jesus does here, he's talking specifically about the concern about, about uh, money, really, about provision, about having enough to get through clothes and, and, and food and so on. 
And uh, he, he acknowledges the, the worry and the fear, and he applies truth to it. And the truths that he applies are, are generally truths that we can apply to just about any fear. So, uh, some things that, that, that we can say as Jesus applies truth to our fears. First of all, he points out that worry doesn't do anything. Worry doesn't do anything. Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Now, there's a dose of cold reality, isn't it? You think about what you sometimes do. You lie awake with some issue going around in your mind, and then you ask yourself, well, now, what did that achieve? Nothing. doesn't do anything. When we worry, it's often because we feel that we're out of control. But the truth is we're not in control. We're not in control when we are worrying. We're not in control whenever we're not worrying. We're not in control. God is. And our worrying does not achieve anything in the great economy of God. So, worry is a futile exercise. It doesn't add anything. And so, we really need to avoid it with God's help. Now, if we can't change anything by worrying, who can? Who can do something about the things that we worry about? Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? God can. And Jesus here brings all sorts of truths about who God is and how He operates to help us in our anxiety. Next thing he says is that not only does worry not do anything, but God is always at work. And Jesus uses two illustrations here. He, he's undoubtedly teaching outside, and there are birds and flowers and grass and so on around, and he references both of those. Uh, you, you, you see what he assumes as he does so. Uh, chapter 6, verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 30, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, so the birds and the grass or the flowers. Now, what's Jesus doing here? He's assuming a remarkable level of involvement of God with His creation. God feeds the birds. He clothes the grasses. How many birds are there in Lurgan Park today? Well, God knows and God feeds them. Uh, Mrs. Smith may live in Demain Avenue. She may be filling her little bird feeders and putting out the seed, but, but God feeds them. The littlest sparrow, the, the sparrow that in Jesus' day could have been bought for half a penny is known by God. Jesus said that, Matthew 10, or not, two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Amazing. An incredible level of involvement of God the Creator in His creation. And the lilies and the grasses, you might remember the hymn, All Things Bright and Beautiful. It has that line, He paints the wayside flower. Well, he does. He, he clothes the grasses. So, God is at work always extensively, intimately, and that means if he's at work in the sparrows and the grasses, that means he is at work in your life and your circumstances always extensively and intimately. 
I wonder how you think normally of, of God's involvement in your life. I know when I'm not thinking well about that, I tend to think of God with me a little bit like I was with my kids whenever Katrina left me to look after them. And, and, and if truth be told, I would plonk them down in their walker or, or whatever leash there was available, and, and, uh, and I would do some other stuff and I would check in with them now and again to, to make sure they hadn't crawled off or, or stuck a screwdriver into a socket or something. Now, you see, God does not just check in on your life from time to time while He's busy doing other stuff. He's always extensively and intimately at work in your life. It's incredible. So, Jesus applying truth to us. God's always at work. Also, you are valuable to Him. Another truth, you are valuable to Him. And, and that's the point also of both of Jesus' illustrations, that the, the birds are fed, that's at the end of verse 26, 26, and He says, are you not of more value than they? And then the grass is being clothed, verse 30. But if God so closes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? And you see, the answer is, of course He will. Because why? You're valuable. You're the, you're the crown of His creation. You're made a little lower than the angels. You're what brought His Son from heaven to a cross. You're valuable to Him. And I wonder, is there a hint here that, that you're valuable to Him eternally? The grass is, is used as a, a fuel into the oven it goes. It's finite. But you will live forever. Jesus will delight in His people forever, and they in Him forever. Incredibly precious to the Lord. So, God is always at work in your life, and we are valuable to Him. And these are the truths that, that, that Jesus takes, and He presses them into our worry. Let's add another truth. It, it, it's the assumption all the way through this, and that is that He is God. This is God we're talking about. He's not like one of those. Remember, you used to, well, you're mostly too young, but you, you, some of us who are older remember the Royal Variety performances. Remember those? And, and there were all sorts of little acts and so on, and, and there would be almost inevitably a plate spinner. And on would come the plate spinner with all his plates and his little bendy poles, and he'd start the plate spinning, and he'd run around the stage, and the queen was watching, and, and you would just wonder, how can he keep all of these plates going? It's all going to come crashing down pretty soon. And that's not God, you see. Nothing ever comes crashing down with him. He's, he's in charge. He's, he's painting the lilies. He's clothing the grasses. He's feeding the birds. He's in charge. God is at work in your life in circumstances. God. The uh, Heidelberg Catechism captures this beautifully in its first question that this is one that, that really you should write out or print out or learn and put in your Bible. What is your only comfort in life and death, it says? That I am not my own, 
but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. This is the God who is at work always, extensively, intimately, and in your life. And you wonder, well, wow, this is incredible. Do we believe this? Can we, can we trust a God like this? Of course we can trust a God like this. But you see, whenever we worry, what happens? Well, we're not trusting this God. Whenever we're, we're worrying, we're saying, now, Lord, I'm concerned about this thing. And what we're often saying is, I know how it needs to work out. And if we were to push in behind all the thoughts in our heads, we might be thinking also, and I'm not sure that you know how it's to work out. Or I'm not sure that, that you're able to make it work out the way it needs to work out. Or, or, or I know how this should work out, Lord, but I'm not sure you understand. And so you see why Jesus tells us not to worry. It's not just because it doesn't do anything or because it will give us an ulcer or disturb our sleep, but because it is saying something about God. It is saying when we're worrying, you're not really the God that you describe yourself as being. And so worry is not just to be avoided. It's to be repented of. And this is a wee bit hard for us to hear because we sort of go, oh, well, we're all worriers. But it's to be repented of because whenever we're worrying, we're not letting God be God. <clears throat> Martin Luther had a, a friend called Philip Melanchthon. He was one of the reformers. And, and Martin Luther, uh, Philip, was, was prone to worry. And, and I searched all over the uh, internet, and I found a picture of what happened whenever that happened. Where do you see? Here it is, 16, uh, or 16th century. A uh, true picture, apparently. And uh, when Philip was worrying, Luther would, would put his hand on his shoulder and would say, let Philip cease to rule the world. You see what was going on? Luther really knew what was happening. So did Philip. When we're, when we're worrying, we're, we're saying, now, Lord, you're not in charge the way that you need to be in charge. I'm going to be in charge here because I know how this is to work. I'm ruling the world. I'm ruling my life. And you see, whenever we're worrying, as, as Luther could see, we're taking the role of God. And that's not our place. You see, we, we say don't worry to people all the time, don't we? And it's, it's a good thing to say. It's an expression of encouragement or solidarity or concern. But you see, with Jesus, it's not like that. It's, it's a command here. 
And so whenever we find ourselves worrying, which is often, we do need to repent of it and say to the Lord, oh Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for not trusting you, not believing you, not knowing that, that, that you know all about this, that, that, that even this difficult thing that has reared up in my life is, is not a surprise to you. you, you you've allowed this to, to come here. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for, for deliverance and help or, or escape or, or a change in what's going on. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He looks into the, the abyss of, of God's judgment against sin, and he sees not just what might happen, but what will happen, and, and he says, if, if possible, he prayed that there might be another way. Very appropriate to do that, of course, but all the way through, he, he trusts his Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, the opposite of worry is, is trust, and we can trust a God who really is God, who is good, who's at work in our lives, and to whom we are amazingly valuable. So here's Jesus, is he pushing these truths into our worry? What is required? Last thing here. What's required? Well, what is required of us, therefore, with our worries is for us uh, to humble ourselves, to acknowledge that God is God and that we are not. And that's how Peter introduces the idea of casting our cares on the Lord, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. And that verse, 1 Peter 5, verse 7, is preceded by verse 6, which is on the screen there. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And then here's verse 7 casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You see, we, we jump in at, at verse 7, don't we? Cast all your anxiety on Him. But it begins with humbling ourselves to say, Lord, You're God, and, and we're not. Now, this is again an, an insight of, of Ed Welch's. Uh, he points out that we, we often just go straight to verse 7, but it, we need to recognize that that God is God. That's a very important first step. Edwell says this, we cannot cast our cares on Him until we have recognized that He is God and we are His servants who have also been elevated to become His children. What Edwell does is he, he, he recommends that we as we're working through these sorts of things, that we write out Scripture in our own words. He says it's a really good practice to do. And so we take it and we sort of unpack it and apply it to ourselves like that. This is how he, he it gives an example of, of doing that with these verses. I'm going to read this. It's, it's a little bit longer, but, but it's really helpful. So here, here's this is his expansion of First uh, Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourself before the Lord. This shouldn't be too difficult. After all, He is God and King and Lord of all. He's the Creator. You belong to Him. The, the creature is the possession of the Creator. Humble yourself before your King. 
And here is one way to express this newfound posture of humility. Cast your cares on Him. Did you catch that? When you come humbly before the King, He reveals His unlimited love. Would you have thought that? He actually wants you to cast your burden on Him. You were never intended to carry those burdens alone. He is the mighty God who, who never leaves. You can trust Him. And this casting is, is no mere act of your will. It comes as you know that He is God and you are not. Oh, and you can be sure that He will lift you up from your kneeling position and give you more than you ever expected. I think that's super helpful. So, what do we do? I'm going to wrap up, but what, what do we do whenever we find ourselves worrying next? When we feel ourselves to be anxious, when we're afraid? Well, well we don't seek to banish our fears, to sort of stoically push our way through them, pretend they're not there. We bring them, rather, to, to this Jesus. That, that means that we, we talk to Him, we, we, we pray to Him. Might be as we're driving along, might be as we're kneeling at the side of a bed, but we talk to Him. That may need to start with repentance, it usually would for me. Oh Lord, how about this? Oh Lord, here I am again. And I've been away down the road in my head over this thing. Lord, I realize it's doing me no good at all. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm acting as if I know what should happen. <laughs> Lord, remind me that you're God and that you're always at work in my life. You, you know, Lord, that I would love this to to go away or to, to work out like this. And Lord, thank you that this is no surprise to you. Thank you that I can trust you. I think I'm going to speak to Jim about it tomorrow, Lord. Will you, will you guide that conversation whenever it happens? Now, Lord, I'm just going to leave this with you. Thank you that you care for me. Help me to rest in that just now. And thank you that the Lord Jesus trusted you fully. It's in his name I pray. You see, when we do that, then we can go on with seeking first his kingdom. Isn't that what Jesus says at the end of Matthew chapter 6? trust the Lord, and, and, and get on with. Sometimes we just get stuck in our worries and say, well, I'll, I'll sort out the kingdom whenever, whenever I'm finished with the worry. But no, we bring it to Jesus, and we get on with seeking first His kingdom. Now, if you're anything like me, you might need to have a prayer like that on repeat in your head. You might need to write it out and, and turn to it often through the day but this is what we do. It's not all that we do, but we don't not do this. We bring our worries to Him. We're just about done. Let me go back to the little flock. Beautiful picture, really catch, caught me this week. Some of us 
here or some of us listening might not yet be Christians and, and, and you don't have this yet. You don't have one to turn to who's like this, like a shepherd, a shepherd who cares for you, who died for you, who said, trust in God, trust also in me. You don't have them, but you do want them, don't you? Isn't there something in your heart that cries out for him? Because you see, you were made for him. And the great thing is you may have him because he invites you. He's the one who said, come on to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isn't it incredible? Here is this little flock to which Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then he says to you, wouldn't you come in? Why not come?